The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ, here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your decisions about forms of ministry in our midst, and as the spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. On this particular Sunday, as we remember the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., we are delighted to welcome to our pulpit our friend, colleague, and neighbor, the Reverend Dr. Walter Earl Fluker, who is Professor Martin Luther King Jr. Professor of Ethical Leadership here at Boston University School of Theology. He and his fine family and his lovely wife Sharon, season by season, grace our pres with their presence our communion here at Marsh Chapel, and we are delighted to have him in our pulpit. As he taught us about Martin Luther King this fall, that King brought a, a voice to represent the uh, biblical tradition and civic republicanism in an expression graced with grandiloquence. We might also say that Dr. Fluker brings us the same voice expressed with grace in grandiloquence, and we are delighted to welcome him here today. This is the day, this fine cold Sunday, on which the, the Lord has given his blessing. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Oh,
together, may we pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshiped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, together, we sometimes come up short. We fall short. We do not always personally or collectively in full live out the true meaning of our creed. And so, come Sunday, we pause right now for a moment in silence as the choir sings of lament and confession, contrition and compunction as we await the promise of God's pardon and peace. Together, let us offer our silent prayers of confession. Let us pray.
Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 5. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 24 through 29 and 39. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be call, called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. 
By faith, the, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they, so that they would not, without us, be made whole. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Please join me in verses from Psalm 139 with the Antiphon. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 to 44. Glory to you, O Lord. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
to Dean Hill, this incredible choir, Sunday after Sunday, my wife is here when I'm not here to hear this choir and also Dean Hill preach. To the awaiting congregation, for those who are in radio land and on internet, we greet you on this very cold, very, very cold <laughs> Boston day when we remember the life and legacy of our most famous alumnus of this university and perhaps one of the greatest Americans, of course, who ever lived, Martin Luther King, Jr. I'm a Baptist preacher, and it takes about 20 minutes to clear my throat <laughs> and my th thoughts. So I'd like for you to know that the text that I'm using today really comes from an old African-American spiritual. It's a refrain that plays out over and over again. It says, if I could, I surely would. Stand on the rock where Moses stood. We all need places to stand. In our public and private lives, in the midst of the circling processes of social and political warfare that now haunt this nation, we need places to stand among the poor and now our increasingly new poor in America. We need a place to stand. And perhaps the place to stand is indeed firm and sustaining like a rock, but it's probably more like what Dean Thurman used to say here, it's a fluid center from which we can stand that is firm, but it's not fixed forever and ever. Or what Thomas Merton said once, a place to stand in the center of the world, which is also the center of our being. These old African-American singers had a sense of this, they said, if I could, I surely would stand on the rock where Moses stood. They were what one scholar calls bricolures. They would take the immediate materials of their experience and they would refashion them into tools of the spirit, which allowed them to not only exegete history and time, but to find a way to make meaning out of chaos. Without the gifts and the skills of higher biblical criticism and all of the commentaries we preachers use, these early singers, took their own experience of suffering and oppression and refashioned it into 
a way of seeing the world that helped them to better understand their own inherent dignity and worth. It's really a marvelous thing. It was as if they were quilting, taking fragments of things that were desecrated and thrown away and creating new art. When they would hear the stories of the Bible, they would begin quilting, rearranging, never maybe receiving the whole story, but enough of the stories to refashion meaning for themselves. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. The theme in all of these spirituals, which holds them together, is the way in which these early singers would hold intention, suffering, and hope. W.E.B. Du Bois had written that on the one hand, these are sorrow songs, songs of very unhappy people who, who are disinherited. And these songs, he said, lead to hidden paths and myth, misty ways. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child child, such a long ways from home. On the other hand, they would speak to the strivings of a people who, though set aside and as foul and profane, and who had no way of shaping the communities of discourse that would respect their rights as citizens would still hope in a future where they would be a part of a new kind of world where they had active participation. So they would sing songs like, Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city. Twelve gates to the city. Hallelujah. Three gates in the east, three gates in the west, three gates in the north, three gates in the south. Though this world, of this loss of world, this anomie that casts me out, it still can be remade, refashioned, into a world where I'm an active participant in an inclusive world where there are 12 gates to the city. Everybody has access. And finally, they would sing songs about trouble because their lot was trouble. 
soon be done with the troubles of the world, troubles of the world, troubles of the world. Soon will be done with the troubles of the world, going to live with God. Hmm. James Weldon called them these black and unknown bards who would sing songs both of sorrow and hope. And even when hope would feed on itself, they would still imagine a world. And what helped them to imagine this world was standing on a rock. That's why when they would sing, they say, God is a rock. In a weary land, a weary land, a weary land, God is a rock in a weary land. Out of a kind of apocalyptic consciousness, they would see a new world breaking in on the present. And that's why they would also sing, Elijah Rock, shout, shout, Elijah Rock, coming of the Lord. If I could, I surely would stand on the rock where Moses stood. And sometimes it's elegaic. They'd remember the story of Mary Martha and their brother Lazarus, and they say, oh, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha, don't you moan, because Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea the improvisational artistry of these black and unknown bards. If I could, I surely would. What a word this is for us as we reflect on Martin Luther King Jr. as our nation is caught in the throes of suffering and hope. As we look to King's legacy in this new time, this new millennium, where all kinds of epithets are being hurled at the poor, and indeed where many of us in our private lives are seeking a place to stand. Martin Luther King's message to us is all the more relevant. But in order to understand Martin Luther King Jr., his valiant and courageous descent into the very deep segregated regions of this country and to the teeming ghettos of the North. In order to understand that, you must understand that Martin King was part of this tradition which sang over and over again, if I could, I surely would. Long before he was catapulted into national and international prominence, after the Montgomery bus boycott, long before he stood at the Lincoln Memorial and declared to a pilgrimage of thousands that America had written its citizens of color a bad check that had come back marked insufficient funds, long before his campaigns for open public accommodation and voting rights, long before his outspoken stance on an unjust war in Vietnam, these black and unknown bards had left him and us a legacy and a place to stand.
I often, as a King scholar, hear about who King studied with, read about who King studied with, and what King studied, and what he graciously appropriated. But the vision of King, I would add, was enriched by his studies at Crozer Theological Seminary and certainly here at Boston University. But long before King came to Boston, long before his discovery of nonviolent resistance in Henry David Thoreau and Mahatma Gandhi, long before he read Rousseau and Hobbes and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard and Royce and Rauschenbusch and Niebuhr and Bound and Breitman and DeWolf and Mulder, Hegel, Marx, Wyman and Tillich, long before. He was part of a dream of a dispossessed and disinherited people who simply wanted to be free and who wanted to be able to stand on a rock where Moses stood. I close this morning with a thought. My wife and I were among the representatives of the university who attended the dedication of the memorial in October of last year. And for me, it was such a moving moment. There on the Washington Mall. This huge monument between Lincoln's memorial and Thomas Jefferson's memorial, depicted as a mountain, and out of the mountain is hewed a stone of hope. King stands there unflinching, resolute, unsmiling, certain. He gazes across the tidal basin towards the Jefferson Monument, and on the other side is Lincoln, the great emancipator. And it's as if King, who certainly knew Lincoln and Jefferson, is aware of the inherent contradiction in Jefferson and in Lincoln, struggling with a new nation, a nation that promised something different for the people of the world. As I stood there, I was deeply moved to a place that said, he's standing on the rock. And oh God, if I could, I surely would. I'd stand on a rock where Martin stood. My friends, as you leave this day and begin your commemorations of Martin Luther King Jr., know that we are heirs of his legacy. We have a place to stand in this nation, in this world, and to speak to issues that most concern the future of democracy and equality in this nation. And if you do dare to stand on this rock with King and all of those who 
came before him. Know that whatever you do, that politics ultimately cannot legislate it. Fire can't burn it, King would tell you. Water hoses can't drown it. Even death cannot destroy it because it lives in the mind of the creator and the maker of the world. And when God mandates justice, all we can do is stand on the rock. Beloved, we come now to the moment in our service when we invite you to be in an attitude of prayer and to enter this time of prayer in whatever tradition is personally meaningful to you, to kneel or to stand, to keep watch together as we enter our time of prayer with the singing of our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Gracious God, holy and just, God of Moses and David and Matthew and Peter, thou by whose power Moses did stand upon the rock, and by whose grace David did fell the giant with five smooth stones, and by whose spirit Matthew did teach us about a house well founded and by whose wisdom was the church built upon Peter, Cephas. Thou rock of ages, come Sunday, this day, we lift our hearts to thee. Help us, we pray. When a man in middle age breaks the commandments of Moses, or better said, is broken by them, bring a stream of remembrance of mercy, thou whose property it is, to have mercy. When a student hunting for a destiny wonders whether one person can make any difference, conjure for us again the story of David, an unknown shepherd, a boy with five stones, and remind us of what we have to offer, 
our five fingers, our five senses, head to toe, and every blessed pentagonal promise of potential to strike a blow for freedom somehow. When a child learns the faith, its hymns and psalms and words, may they become today as they long have been for that seven-year-old, a sure foundation against which the rain may fall and the flood may come and the wind may blow but will not prevail. And when a community of faith this morning gathers to worship, help us to remember those who came before on whom the church was built. Out of Moses, David, Matthew, Peter, we long for thy mercy, thy power, thy wisdom, thy love. In the name of Christ, who taught us together to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel this morning and hope you'll take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. 
We would note that tomorrow is the uh, annual Boston University Martin Luther King Jr. commemoration. It's at 1 p.m. tomorrow in Metcalf Hall in the George Sherman Union, and we hope that you will be able to be with us for that. We would note also that on this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, we will host the an opening ecumenical service for the week of prayer for Christian unity. If you're available to attend Wednesday at 6 p.m. here in the nave, we would welcome you most heartily. And here for a special announcement this morning is our Grammy-nominated director of music here at Marsh Chapel, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. And silence. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's my uh, wonderful pleasure to welcome to the nave and to the chancel of Marsh Chapel our artist and ensemble in residence, Lorelei, with their music director, Beth Willer, uh, sang, singing the anthem between the readings this morning, this morning. They are giving a concert this weekend on Saturday night, that's January 21st, here at Marsh Chapel at 8 o'clock. And we want you to know about that concert, and we want you to greet them this morning and to share in the music that they uh, will bring us this coming Saturday. Welcome, Beth, and welcome, Lorelei. Thank you. We would invite you to keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website for all of our upcoming services and activities at bu.edu chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Great, wondrous, ever-present God, bless and consecrate these gifts. May they guide us to our own place to stand. In Christ's name, amen.
God of our weary ears, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us far upon the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. In the name of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen.